Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Autocar Business Editor's Briefing. We are live from the uh, Autocar studio just 24 hours or so after it was announced that Rishi Sunak is pushing back the ban on new pure petrol and pure diesel combustion car sales from 2030 to 2035, which has rocked the industry, transcended the automotive media uh, and could change the shape of the automotive landscape, not just here, but in Europe, I think. Mark, why is this so huge, not just for us, but for everybody involved? Three big parties involved here, consumers, UK business and the industry as well. It's ultimately worth saying, I know Steve will go into this probably a bit more, but ultimately it's probably the right date. It's just been set at the wrong time and completely in the wrong way. It's almost as if the government, well, the government did set pull a date out of thin air back in um, 2020. And in the three years since, have worked out, wow, we can't actually do this and we should just align ourselves with the rest of the European Union, where the power base in the automotive industry in this territory ultimately lies. So ultimately, therefore, you get to the correct decision. However, what this has done for consumer confidence, um, if you are the, the, the average Joe or Jane looking to buy your car, electric is... Um, well, what do you think of this? You've been told that you're heading one way and now you've been going to get another way. Business, if you're looking to invest in the UK and have invested, um, you yeah, know, the news bulletins have been full of small businesses saying they've invested a lot um, in, in towards EV. And then you get statements like Ford's saying a pretty damning statement against this. Uh, and then comes to the automotive industry itself. Uh, I mean, you could link in with them a business and the business investments, but the lack of clarity is just frankly astonishing throughout this whole thing and ultimately this comes down to to politics and and, and party politics rishi sunak has seen this as a vote winner whatever the damage uh, it leaves the uh the lack of clarity is frustrating but perhaps not as frustrating as the fact that we uh we still have to contend with the zeb mandate which comes in in just three months time manufacturers are going to have to sell 22 percent pure electric cars uh, in 2024, rising to 80% by 2030. So on one hand, the government is saying that these companies can still sell pure combustion cars, but on the other, they are mandating that a certain amount of products they sell must be pure electric. There are ways around this. Companies can buy credits. We think that possibly Chinese companies will play a huge role in supplying those credits. But Steve, do you think this, this echoes of when people were encouraged to buy diesel and then that fell away and we're facing a landscape where consumers don't know what they're supposed to buy. The market isn't perhaps ready for them to go electric. We don't now know if it will be by 2030. So where do we stand in all of this? Well, I think it's, you just follow your nose, don't you? It's, uh, it's the people I feel sorry for are the likes of Ford who, when you think back, they killed their two best-selling models in the market which is, the, which is the biggest for those two cars, Fiesta and Focus, um, prematurely as it worked out, because um, you know they could have gone on for a while longer, and possibly, maybe not, who knows the way they're thinking, but it does, you can see why they're upset. And <laughs> it amazes me that, they, that there hasn't been more preparation, that the, 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 the machinery of government hasn't been speaking to the, the people who who have to make these cars and sell them mm -hmm. earlier it just seems ridiculous the, the further uh, problem to me is that the uh, we're going to swallow this for a while we're going to we're going to set out on this new course but in 2024 when 
very likely there's going to be a change of government that's going to change back and there will be a there'll be a, a there a, a year and a half locked off the time that's available now so even more confusion is going to obtain unless the, the opposition decide to do something um you know that aligns better with what's being announced today that, that's such a key point is that labor have come out and said they will stick to the 2030 ban and we'll have a, we have to have an election for <clears throat> january 2025 assuming the legislation doesn't happen overnight if there is a change in government as steve says we, we are back to where we were which above all else shows this is a purely a political decision but it's you know you're not dealing with televisions or dishwashers or mobile phones or anything like that this is a huge huge industrial industry that employs many thousands of people where it's tied up into the wider net zero of course policy around around 2050 and you know, can't get there about the decarbonization of transport and therefore you need proper strategy and you need long-term clear guidance on what to invest in and which direction of travel to set your business within and they're just flip-flopping on the date as if it's you know the classic mm. political beach balls that were it struck me that the smmt who um, made a very careful statement about this yesterday not condemning anybody but they did say one very interesting thing i thought which is that carrots move markets faster than sticks that was the payoff at the end of the their um their statement and it and i think that's a very wise point and the, and the way for sunak and co to make this thing stick especially given the mandate that's coming is to dream up some honest to god appealing um, um incentives for people to to buy these cars you know if they to, to to keep on you know banging people over their head and say, unless you do this, that we'll do that. Mm. A terrible way to, to, to carry on. Um, just on that as well, I was at this SMMT event on Monday, I was speaking to their head, Mike Cause, on incentives. And they're really pushing these incentives. They want to see about VAT being dropped. They don't want to see home charges being, sorry, uh, public charging, VAT reflective home charges, mm. because I mean, like me, I live in a flat. Charging is really expensive. And that has definitely stopped the uptake. And I think with this 2030 is now 2035 push, the incentive demand is just going to completely, well, if you're a consumer, now you've got an extra, what, 12 years rather than eight years. Why would you buy an EV now if you don't need to? It's a big expense. Mm -hmm. I just think yesterday's, and again, what Mike Hawes is saying, yesterday's speech from Sunak could have been used for such other things like, announcing new incentives yeah. or announcing more money but i just think as i got on the radio this morning he's taken the easy way out for votes and i think it was but don't you think people if if, if they had the, the sense to accompany all this with some with some proper incentives you, you would think that would be a further program, wouldn't you? yeah i mean part of me thinks that what we're seeing now is sunak having his hand guided by the reaction to the rice lip uh, loss uh, and, you know, he, he saw very clearly there the, the public consensus towards initiatives like the ULES uh, and how people don't want to be fundamentally don't want to be told what they have to buy, don't want to be told what they have to drive. Uh, and I think, Will, you're right. I think it's an easy vote winner. I mean, that's certainly his perception. I don't know whether that will become the reality. But do you think we're looking at a sort of domino effect now where the, the ULES reaction started everything and now we're winding back on our electrification initiative and do you think down the line we could 
we could regress further. I don't know. Is there a is there a future where we look at twenty fifty as the as the all EV mandate? I don't know whether that would even be feasible. I reckon that I've just read the papers today, and and the the more conservative papers um, so broadly support this. You know, the Times uh, calls calls it. I've just wrote it down here. Um, he says that Sunak is right to push back damaging and unachievable deadlines. That, that's their take on it. The Telegraph as well, the same, same mm. stuff. But I think we're discovering quite a nugget of, of a, quite a big body of people in, in, out there who who actually support the, the move towards zero emissions and won't tolerate any, um, any change into 2050. Even though the 2050 mandate was, um, um, specification was laid down the very end of Theresa May's government yes, yeah. when she almost did it off the cuff, mm. like Boris did 2030 off the cuff. Mm. But I, I think there's a there's a whole body of people and, I, I, you know, I, I think I know them who would uh, say, say that uh, these targets broadly need to be kept. Mm. And on, the, on your point, Felix, around cars of 2050 being non-EV, I think one of the... <laughs> more articulate points that Sunak made yesterday, but by 2030 anyway, car, the, the car park or cars on sale will largely be electric anyway. The, the industry has already made decisions that cannot be reversed. You referenced the Ford Fiesta. This decision is not going to bring the Fiesta back from the dead. Cars living are on sale roughly in seven year cycles. Uh, lead times when cars are in development for around four and a half years before that, you're you do serious, serious long-term planning here, and the direction of tra travel is 2030, 32, 35, whatever. It's fundamentally the next generation of cars that will need to be decided and invested in now. Some car manufacturers, of course, have multi-energy platforms and can you know, fit petrol or hybrid, etc. but fundamentally will be there or thereabouts with EV anyway. Mm. Like that but this is interesting. I mean, the, we've talked a lot this morning in this and and before we came on air about the losers of this situation you know people who are angry about it the most vocal of whom are the big investors um ford you mentioned there are winners as well i think toyota has expressed i think delight would be <laughs> putting it a touch heavily but we didn't know much about the future of toyota's uk factory currently makes hybrids has not announced a plan to produce pure electric cars so in some respects, this could be a bit of a lifeline for to keep some of these manufacturers but involved. They said anything yet, They've not said anything concrete. They have they have said that the future of that factory hinges on various political mechanisms, trade agreements that are set up, tariffs. Um, but as it stands, that that factory was looking like producing a car that could not be sold here in, uh, in a few years' time because the Corolla, although it is a very efficient combustion car, doesn't have significant zero emission driving capabilities yeah um which we still don't know what that means so the thing that i, I slightly resist even though i uh, you know I, I see the drawbacks of this is is that a lot of the voices we've heard so far have been the, the natural voices of whinging you can mm -hmm. imagine ford would be chased off they must be i even read some stuff from uh from the the matter the, the boss about a charge point company saying this is terrible but it strikes me that he's going to get another five years to to do a respectable job of putting charging points out there but you know so so there is a bit of virtue signaling going on mm -hmm. i think we need to resist the, the people are so good at bleating these days 
there's a survey in the Times at the moment running, which which puts the, where the readers vote about pro and con. And at the moment, moment it's running at 49.51. But it's near enough to to equal. So so there's a it's a it's got quite a lot of supporters, and and the, and the loudest voices are the, are the people who've got a vested interest. The, and what I suppose Sunak and Company are trying to do is, is take the old helicopter view to use a shocking cliche. Mm. It just shows you again that uh, how most arguments are grey and they're not black and white. It's not either or. I think my own personal view is that I think it's ultimately the right decision and the right date, but the way they've got there has just been terrible and reflects terribly on the UK and is ultimately bad for trying to attract inward investment into this country because mm. how can you someone like Carlos Tavares you know wants absolute stability and all he's seeing is instability from decision makers so yeah. you know why would he want to invest in this it's the election next year that said that mm. that's a big flying ointment will what would if you were a private citizen not driving around in the motor industries country <laughs> what what would make you what would now make you Buy an electric car next. Infrastructure. Definitely the infrastructure. I mean, I mean just going back to a marvelous thing as well on Tavares, this whole thing of what you were saying of chaos and confusion, I think it's completely been pushed up again with what was said yesterday because we just are so far away at the moment from any kind of mass electric um, uptake from people because we just don't have that easy infrastructure. I live in Southampton. And there are, for me, I have to park 15 minutes away from where I live just to charge. And that is one of two charges in the city. I live in the city centre. And I know obviously it's not London, and there's a lot of charges in London, but it just shows, like a, like a major city like Southampton, there is just nothing in terms of electric charging. And if I am going to charge my car, it's minimum 66 pence a kilowatt hour. And that makes it just as expensive. Yeah. And listen, that doesn't that mean that another five years, in another five years, there'll be more charges and life will be easier. Well, I think we've done quite a lot of stories on this on uh, on the website and in the mag, just on the red tape around trying to get charges installed. I mean, we've spoken to so many charging operators, um, and they all say, you know, we want to put a charger in. It's not just a case of, oh, you want to put a charger in there. It's Put a charger in there, talk to the council, the council mm. can't say, oh, then the landowner has a say, oh, but there's so many different people involved. If one says no, Great connection then it's as well, done. Yeah. 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 And the connection might not be enough as well. Mm. And it's just... The planning law, which somebody described as a Byzantine, <laughs> which, uh, which is, that is a big problem, isn't it? Well, the, the trouble is, what's going to be the incentive now for councils? You mentioned local councils. Mm. What is going to be their incentive now in the next five years, say, to dramatically increase electric car infrastructure in their constituency? Because they don't fundamentally need to, because consumers aren't being legislated into these cars now. But won't the mandate still require... Not if all the manufacturers are just buying credits off the Chinese and, and the, the electric car part, P-A-R-C, doesn't, uh, doesn't organically increase. We're already hearing that Volkswagen is decreasing electric vehicle output because demand from the consumer has, has dropped yeah. significantly in the last year. Well, based on big infrastructure, our history of big infrastructure in this country, I, I look at this more as not 
the same job will ultimately be done just over a longer period of, of time. You know, I don't suddenly think five years of superb extra planning are going to kick in within that period that, you know, between 2023 and 2030, mm. we've probably got to where we were going to be anyway in that seven years. Well, I think we'll probably make exactly the same progress, but just over the next. So we'll be having this discussion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, just add five years, you know, whatever formula you come to over mm. seven and what yeah seven years work will be done in 12 really but i think i think the the, the this what happens in 2024 is going to be totally completely crucial isn't it? it's going to overturn all of this stuff because if there's a change of government God knows what will i wish i could remember the statistics we, we quote it quite a bit and i can't remember it off the top of my head but uh the smt and various other industry bodies have forecasted that we need x hundred thousand public charges in operation by 2030 to cope with projected demand for electric cars yeah. i would love to know how the new projections for electric car uptake off the back of this affect that need and whether we are on track now to meet that which we haven't been previously there'll be a bloke with a calculator over there in yes the yeah yeah, yeah. no it'd be a abacus it <laughs> would be a, oh, a um to james atwood who is doing a story uh, covering it live yesterday was showing me what doc one documentation, but documentation was produced by the government was half a dozen pretty cruddy slides, and you know even they couldn't use an apostrophe properly on EVs on the last one. <laughs> which uh, I I just think back to the day. I remember the day it was announced. It was Boris's whatever point plan, and this was point seventeen. It was one and a half lines of text about this, and we had to wait six months for any kind of detail beyond that. And still, we're at the point where when it comes down to Two key bits of the legislation were this meaningful range of a hybrid in 2030. That, well, we'll never know now because it's it's just moot. And then this this uh, mandate that will you know, bring with it fines. We are three months away, and this legislation has been kicking around for three years, and we still don't know. And when you think of lead times of cars, I can't think of the, the average order time coming down, but it's still months. So mm -hmm. if you order a desirable or one of the better electric cars now. There's every chance, well, almost very likely you will take delivery of that car in in uh, next year, at which point it will count as the 22% or not. So if you're Audi, for example, do you want to sell me a Q5 or a Q4? You don't know how many Q5s you can sell me. Mm -hmm. If you know What are you going to talk me into? Because it's fine margins. If you get a thousand of those wrong, suddenly you've got you know, yeah, well, I'd like to come back to something you said earlier. You were talking about sort of the Tavares outlook on the situation. I know we quote him a lot, and I think he said before, and I think various other industry leaders have said before, the car industry is a container ship. It turns very slowly. It needs a lot of forewarning about what's coming over the horizon. The government is yo-yoing at such a pace that that just can't keep up with. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got to imagine a speedboat that's sort of out of control and it's guiding this yeah. massive oil tanker yeah. through the ocean. But I can't. Yeah, you're right. It's three months in the car industry. That is the blink of an eye. They have planned for five years in advance. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it, actually, under the under the radar, it's actually two cycles, isn't it? Because it, you know, something like the Fiesta has, it goes fourteen years. It goes, you know, there's a seven years between model changes, but they use substantially uh, substantial parts for for two cycles. So mm. you know, it's. Well, VW um, at the Munich Roadshow recently said that, that their development times are 54 months and they're going to try and they're trialing cutting that to 36 months. So if you decided the day after this government's announcement back in 2020 to um, 
which was, I think it was later, and it was October, November time, towards the end of that year. If you decided the next day to develop, you know, electric car to put on sale, you're still not even at the 36-month date, mm. rapid one, let alone the sort of standard 54-month. We're not dealing, even in our magazine planning, we've got stories underway for, for January. You know, we can, um, but we could also drop the whole content of the magazine next week. We can move quickly. You're dealing with a car that has to meet a serious amount of legislation, both safety, emissions. You're getting thousands from thousands of parts to talk to each other, hardware, software, in a, in a, yeah, in a way. Supplies, of course, yeah. Yeah, build the supply chain around that and then you know, decide where to build that, build the supply chain. You can't, it's whimsical. whimsical. One thing we've not mentioned, and it's another it's another link in that chain is Euro 7. So manufacturers have got to invest hugely in making oh. these combustion cars compliant. <laughs> they don't know when they can take them off sale. They don't know how much they should invest in making them compliant because if it's only going to be on sale for two years, is it worth the three billion pound yeah. expense? And the irony is that Euro 7 doesn't do much for the environment. Well, no, so they say, I mean. As I was saying, just talking about Euro 7, we always have this rules of origin. Mm. But there's another thing up in the air and another thing that is really sensitive about electric cars. And Every, it, there's a lot of things happening. Um, yeah, there's a lot. EU7 will, will probably kill off more combustion engine based cars more quickly than anything else. E even Volkswagen, the only things they've committed to are the Golf, the T Rock, the Tiguan, and the Passat. So you think of VW's range now, there's three, three times that amount of cars when you think of all the derivatives. There will only be four Volkswagens, the best selling brand in this country, on sale with a nominal petrol engine, but in reality, they're mild hybrids. They're going to get this towards this kind of meaningful range anyway, which kind of shows to see next point again, they were going to get there anyway. But the, the hurdles placed in front of them, but then bring it back to the consumers again, above all else, it's the consumer confidence thing. And even as a, you know, we, we buy cars and, and have cars in the household, and I've been lucky enough to be locked into a very good energy deal before the, for about two or three years before um, prices went bananas, but I'm coming out of it now. And I'm trying to switch to a, a a tariff that gets you cheaper EV charging overnight. It's incredibly complicated. You have to work out what kind of smart meat you've got, and you know whether it's fitted here or there. And you know, the websites are all sort of glossy and shiny. And then you come to the end of it, and go, oh no, sorry, your charger that was installed three years ago isn't compliant with this tariff. And then only cost you a few hundred. Exactly. Has there been any Stellantis comment? Because I would have thought that. You know, Tavares is not what I've seen this morning. He, I think that'll be an interesting because he normally says something, doesn't he? About Vauxhall, have got a dog in a fight, haven't they? Yeah, well, they, they've uh, they've only recently uh, kickstarted production back up in Ellesmere for electric little electric vans, so uh, moving with the times, certainly. But um, yeah, they're going to be affected. Yeah, I think that comes back to credibility and believability is it? when you're looking at future investments and that stability, again, you know, as business, when you're choosing to where to invest your, your billion, probably, over a over course of cycle, who's got the greater believability factor? One point that um, I was a bit obsessed with when I started to think about this was the um, the gigafactory issue, because we've only got one, haven't we? The, 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 there's sort of half a one that's attached to Nissan, and then there's the, the Tata one um, down south, which is news of which has gone rather uh, silent, um, and no other 
um, enterprises. So it's, you know, British wealth's gone and all that. So it does strike me that the five years may give, give the Byzantine planning uh, a chance to, to get a few gigafactories. Mm -hmm. Because at the moment we haven't got, in the UK, we haven't got the, the, the battery supply um, facilities, have we? So. Yeah. So, but I think we're the, the capacity, quoted capacity, will need to, to basically sustain manufacturing as it is in the end of the ICU age. We're over fifty percent there, I think, with Vizian and the one in the northeast and, and the Tata um, Gigafactory in Somerset. So you'd hope that at, at the tipping point, reach, yeah, so it's over fifty percent. Because at one stage, but the people were saying we'd need five or six Gigafactories. In terms of capacity of those, the, the, the gigawatt hour production. So they're pretty big, are they? So, yeah, they're, they're, I, I don't want to say the wrong figure, but we are over 50% of the capacity we need with those two factories fully on street. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the major manufacturers in this country, Stellantis, Nissan, Toyota, JLR, and Mini, four, not necessarily every factory facility, but four of the five car producers are committed to making electric vehicles. It's only Toyota that hasn't, so you'd hope around that we can already at the point where we should be able to sustain at least um manufacturing this country uh in the electric age but it's a long way from what was promised with boris's pledge in, in 2020 to make uk a world leader um, by bringing the date forward i think everything that's followed since has just reduced uk to being a a follower and in and in the pack really mm. yeah there was a there was stuff in the press this morning talking about uh, how we were losing our our predominance in green uh, technology. I didn't know we had any. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a terrible look, isn't it? I, I can't, you know, we need to go and immerse yourself internationally. You, you can't think of the, the French politics news we get in this country, you know, it, it's snapshots, it's headlines. You, you, you can't imagine the, 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 the Parisian dailies the uk this reflects particularly well on, on the uk yeah. internationally well I mean, i've been looking at um i'm always interested when uk news like this is on a world stage I, I tend to spend more time on sort of cnn and the figaro and you know the international websites to see how people are looking at us and uh yeah it's not nice to look in the mirror sometimes yeah. but, so, um right there are a lot of numbers and stats and quotes to get our heads around uh and we've got to uh, understand this at some point, so we might as well start now. So thank you very much, Mark, Steve, and Will for joining me today, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>